Welcome to Telling Tales, the place to get your fiction fix. In each episode, we'll have a story for you. Maybe you'll find yourself in a far-flung corner of the world, or deep in the French countryside, or even on the banks of the River Tyne. We'll take you to places where the past and the present merge. Rocks talk, and curry can kill you. Sometimes funny, sometimes dark, but always entertaining. Welcome to Telling Tales. Dockety. In 1961, I was 11, part of a new generation that had inherited a changed world. But we didn't know it, yet. Our parents who'd fought a war for us. And this was despite our indifference and seeming ingratitude. In the playground of St Cuthbert's Grammar School, we fought the Second World War over and over again the injustices, the tragedies and the mistakes. In that fermenting soup of seething teenage anxieties came John Paul Doherty, the Rottweiler of our school. He was the cruel prisoner of war camp commandant we'd all seen in the movies. He strutted around arrogant and confident that all who saw him feared him. His was the power of life and death. He was the same as all the other bullies that had policed the schoolyards of Europe before the war. We first-year boys were cannon fodder in his grandiose plans. He rarely attended lessons, but was always hanging around, living off the dinner money of the other boys and scrounging cigarettes from the teachers. Doherty was taller and broader than any other pupil. He had hands like shovels and the IQ of a sprout. Despite his size, his grey school uniform hung loosely around his body. It had become worn and shabby long before his elder brothers handed it down to him. It was the curse of large, poor Catholic families and of being the youngest child. Bullying came naturally to Doherty. His older brothers had beaten and teased him, and he wanted to pass the hurt and the humiliation on to someone else. His intention, that cold winter's morning, like most mornings, was to grab someone, put his arm around their neck, choke them for a while, and then, as they hung limp in the noose of his arm lock, he'd remove money, sweets, or any other currency of the playground he could find. It was his daily routine. He was fairly arbitrary about who he stole from. Chances were that you'd lost your dinner money only once or twice a term. You didn't struggle. In fact, if you saw him coming, you could hand over the money and save yourself a choking. Even at eleven, I understood how power and pain were mixed together. It's always easier, I thought to bend the knee to a bully and to stand up to them. Where's the profit in fighting someone who can knock you down with a flick of their wrist? All my life people had been beating me up. Doherty was just another on the list. 
I was the small, weedy, bespectacled boy whose nose always dripped and whose face was always covered in spots. I might as well have had the word victim tattooed on my forehead. Give your money, you bloody totter. Doherty spat the words at me. He expected no reply, and even if I'd given one, he'd not be listening. And on that faithful morning, I should have handed over my money, but his greeting came too late and my reaction too slow. He grabbed me from behind and gripped my throat in the crook of his arm. I should have stood still and not struggled, but history was conspiring against me. The November morning of fate had joined forces with the icy pavement of destiny, and I felt my right knee buckle, and my body moved forward as he grabbed my neck. I twisted around, causing both of us to lose our balance, and as I dropped to one knee, Doherty tumbled over my back and flipped over in mid-air. It was one of those moments in life when time suddenly slows and you see an event that lasted only the fraction of a second, captured in slow motion. He landed awkwardly in front of me and at the same time sustained a glancing blow to the side of his head from the upturned pavement of stones that marked the boundary of the schoolyard. I thought at this point I'd moved beyond a simple choking. I'd caused pain to Doherty, and I was as good as dead. Fight, fight, the cry went up across the schoolyard amongst the runny-nosed spectators. The pack saw the fox wounded before them. Boys came from every corner of the school. Most expected to see Doherty's next victim lying helpless on the ground. At first they stood in shocked silence, then someone said, Doherty's down! Doherty's dead, someone else shouted. And two hundred boys jostled around, looking firstly at the limp, muscular frame of the Goliath of St. Cuthbert, and they looked back at the stick insect in glasses that stood over him. As they tried to work out how this miracle had taken place, Doherty suddenly stirred. The first ranks jumped back, to be pushed forward again by those behind trying to see what was going on. Doherty looked up at me, trying to make sense of what had just happened. His expression changed from confusion to rage and then to the bemused face of a small child, unable to understand the pain. A small trickle of crimson blood ran down the side of his face. He brushed it off with the torn cuff of his shirt, spreading the blood into a red smear across his cheek. Eventually, a small thought grew in his befuddled mind, then it grew into a larger thought, and then he looked back up at me and said, The crowd suddenly fell silent as the headmaster pushed his way through. My office now, boy, shouted Father Casti. Father Casti was dressed in the long black robes of a senior priest. He appeared to glide rather than walk across the playground, 
His normal grey pallor was spattered with throbbing blue veins that crisscrossed his forehead. He had seen the fracas from his office window. He saw his moment had arrived. This was his chance to put Dockett in his place and re-establish his authority over the playground. You two, my office, now, he repeated. With a small wave of his hand, he summoned four sixth-form prefects to pick up Doherty and frog-march him to his study. The prefects in their distinctive black blazers were the Gestapo and Father Casti's Third Reich, and so the hierarchy of terror had been established. Father Casti knew, because forty years of teaching him had told him, that once Doherty had lost face in front of the entire school, especially the hands of someone half his size and weight, he'd not give him any more trouble, as long as he quickly asserted his control, and a caning for Doherty would seal his fate, troublemaker would be broken. Now I hoped that in the confusion had slipped through the net and merged back into the crowd, but then I suddenly felt a sharp pain. I suddenly felt a sharp pain as Father Casti grabbed my ear. He dragged me along behind him as he followed the shabby figure of Doherty flanked by the prefects. Please, sir, it wasn't me, sir. It was Doherty, sir. He was trying to steal my dinner money. I protested, but I knew that Father Casti wasn't listening. Listening was not a quality he'd ever needed in his teaching career. And the more I protested, the harder he pulled at my ear. And when I fell silent, the pressure decreased. It was a simple lesson, easily learned. Moments later, Doherty and I stood together in silence at the foot of the stairs that led to the headmaster's office. The prefects had left us to consider our fate, and Father Casti had gone ahead to prepare for our arrival in his office. Even if he was in a hurry, to always make you wait at the foot of the steps. Fear was a much more powerful weapon than pain. We'd stood many times and looked up the dimly lit passageway, flanked by dark oak panels and heavy brass handrails. Both of us were resigned to our fate. No thanks, I said. Better put them away. Somebody will see us, and then you'd be in more shit than you are already. Okay, Doherty said. Sorry. Anyway, I didn't do anything. Cassidy's always had it in for me. I had four brothers in the school before me, and all of them got in the neck from Cassidy. Doesn't like our family. Picks on us. Doherty's brothers were legends in the school. The tales of their fights, not just with other pupils, but with the teachers, were often told to us smaller boys as we huddled like penguins in the corner of the schoolyard. He held his hand out to me, and I shook it as firmly as I could. A doctor had no great affection for me, but we both knew who the real enemy was. And in that silent moment, we buried our differences. Then with our heads bowed, we climbed together the thirteen steps to Father Casti's office. The staircase had taken us into the oldest part of the school, 
It was an Edwardian house that was home to a number of priests who taught at St. Cuthbert's. The main lounge that overlooked the schoolyard had been converted into his office. It had a large fireplace over which hung an impressive collection of instruments of torture that every pupil knew and feared. The very sight of them would send a cold shiver through the heart of the toughest of the playground recidivists. Now, Father Casti was a man who took cruelty to young boys seriously. He was a seasoned professional punisher. He seemed to look both of us in the eye at the same time, and we were mesmerised as he turned his head towards the mantelpiece and the collection of canes that were displayed like dueling swords. They ranged in thickness from a stout, rigid stick to a thin, willow wand. He'd turned these simple pieces of wood into a series of painful beatings of devastating impact, ranging from the uncomfortable sting of a wasp to the equivalent of a branding iron on your bare flesh. He reasoned, each beating with the same, where was the deterrent factor? Once you'd crossed that pain threshold, you'd know what to expect, and your fear would be diminished. Father Casti was not about to let that happen in his school. He pointed to the leather chest field that stood in front of the fireplace, and with heads bowed, we shuffled across the floor and stood in front of the settee, unable to keep our eyes from looking up at the canes displayed over the fireplace. My stomach tightened, and I could feel the perspiration running down my back. The room had a strange, musty stench of a thousand frightened small boys who stood like me before this prince of darkness. His black robes and bucolic expression seemed to us to represent not God, but the devil himself. Father Casti stood in silence for a moment and considered his choices. He could vary the punishment by simply choosing a different cane to the last one used. He could then change the point of impact. If every stroke was delivered to the same spot each time, then the pain would be greater. But the method he saved for special occasions like this was his speciality, the whiplash. And he took down the thin, Willow wand. He told Doherty and I to bend over the back of the Chesterfield together. We both realised at that moment that what he was about to do was something that had never been attempted before, a tandem whiplash. A tricky manoeuvre, only for the extremely skilled. If it was not executed exactly right, then one or both of the victims would get off lightly. That was not the idea. What Father Casti wanted for us was not only be punished, but to share the humiliation as well. He drew back his arm, lifting the cane, brandishing it like a rapier, swirling it above his head. He then brought it down on our backsides with pinpoint accuracy. But at the precise moment the cane was a fraction of an inch away from impact, he pulled it back, and the thin willow wand cracked 
and whiplash back, striking both of us on the return with a terrifying speed and a searing pain that took our breath away and caused us both to cry out. And as each stroke rained down on us and our bodies spasmed in fear and pain, I looked across at Doherty and saw the agony written across his face and the terror in his eyes. And I reached over and gently squeezed his hand. He looked back up, the tears streaming down his face. As we made our way out of his office and down the steps, Doherty turned to me. You ever tell anybody I cried, I'll kill you. Welcome to Telling Tales, the place to get your fiction fix. In each episode, we'll have a story for you. Maybe you'll find yourself in a far-flung corner of the world, or deep in the French countryside, or even on the banks of the River Tyne. We'll take you to places where the past and the present merge. Rocks talk, and a curry can kill you. Sometimes funny, sometimes dark always entertaining. Welcome to Telling Tales.